No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'd like to welcome everybody to tonight's podcast. We have a not-so-hidden gem with us for tonight's podcast. It's a sheikh that I've had the pleasure and honor of speaking with and working with and benefiting from. Uh, he's originally from Vietnam. He has lived most of his life in the United States. He's a graduate from the Islamic University of Medina. Uh, he's very active in spreading the da'wah across the world. He teaches many different types of courses. He has served as the, uh, as an imam. And so we are very pleased to have with us tonight, Sheikh Abdul Bari Yahya. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Dr. Sayyid. It's uh, wonderful to be uh, able to speak to you again. It's been uh, a while and uh, it's an honor to be on the program with you. Alhamdulillah, welcome to the program, Sheikh. So, uh, your city is very famous right now because part of it apparently is occupied. And so I'm very worried of your safety. Are you in the occupied Chaz zone or the CHOP zone? Uh, or are you in the, in, in the free zone? Are you outside of the zone? Are you a prisoner of the zone? What is your current status, Sheikh? Well, I think I'm still in the United States of America. So that's one okay. thing. And uh, okay. I'm about 10 minutes from there. But uh, alhamdulillah. Uh, uh, we did. Uh, I didn't. My, I my, my, myself personally did not uh, get to go to the chop, or they used to call it Chaz, but that thing has changed to to chop now. The Capitol Hill um, occupied protests or uh, organized protests, and uh, okay. uh, but my my family and some of the brothers, uh, uh, some of the community members, actually went just to see what was going on over there, and uh, it's pretty much just like uh, I would say. From what I've been hearing and seeing, it's been pretty much just like a, a street party, a big street party, pretty much. Okay. Because you get uh, different uh, pictures in different parts of the media of what it's like there. Uh, some people give it this, you know, hippie-ish, like, you know, Dory man, like everything's all good. And that vibe, hippie-ish vibe. And then you have, uh, you know, some people who say, you know, this is like a militarized zone with a warlord. And perhaps even Bane is running this uh, autonomous zone. So there's like pictures of Batman and like what what this zone looks like, right? So there's like these two different pictures that are getting promoted depending on what media channel you watch, right? Which news channel you watch yes. or which uh, Facebook group you're part of, right? So either this is the beginning of uh, the downfall of America and these cities are going to be occupied one by one or it's just like a free, you know, love fest where, you know, everybody is welcome and just having one big party. So you get very different accounts of what's actually happening there. Uh, it's pretty much just a, a, a street party. And of course, if you're going to watch uh, Fox, you're going to hear that it's a militarized zone or whatever it is. There's a lot of chaos, but it's more <laughs> like a street party. Everybody is just, uh, I guess, enjoying themselves. Uh, yeah. But of course, there's some seriousness uh, when, when it mm. comes to some of the messaging and protests. Um, yes. I think uh, pretty much right now the police have have uh, have actually abandoned. They haven't abandoned. They, they don't say they have abandoned it, but... Yeah. You know, they pretty much just left it, uh, and a lot of them uh, don't go don't go in uh, to that particular area. But it's more of a, a de-escalation tactic because it's more uh, before there was a lot of tension in that area. And so when the police left it, 
um, then all the all the tension and all that uh, all the clashes that were happening actually stopped. And so, okay. in a way, it did work. But at the same time, you know, there's uh, I think from what I've been hearing, also the city has uh, been getting a lot of complaints from people in that area, some of the shops also because. Uh, I, I mean, rightfully so. There's a lot. There's just uh, uh, there. Some of them are not able to do business and stuff like that. That's all. And it's yeah. not. Uh, the, the police actually, they say that they come in. They will come in if if it's needed. But I don't think they have been going in. If there are any problems, they're pretty much at the border right now. Okay. So, uh, but I've heard that there has been some crimes. Uh, there was an incident where somebody was shot and. Medical personnel couldn't get to to that particular victim, and they ended up uh, dying as a result. Yeah, I think there have been a couple of shootings in that particular area, and um, I think medical personnel are not allowed to go in unless they've received clearance from uh, uh, police officers. And I oh, think really? because the police officers did not go in, and they didn't allow the clearance, so they they didn't clear them to to, to go in. And so actually, somebody did die, uh, from what I've heard. Uh, from the people who uh, who were there, um, they said that uh, somebody was left uh, pretty much. They they bled to death, and mm. and uh, the medical personnel uh, did not go in because they were not cleared by the police officers because the police officers uh, did not go in. Oh really? So uh, are they? From what I've heard, I've seen recent reports that they're planning on trying to dismantle that zone. How easy of a task do you think that would be? Oh, I think it's. You know, right when uh, I think right when the police chief and the mayor uh, started to announce that they actually put more barriers, oh, <laughs> so <really? it's, laughs> more barriers yeah. are going up right yeah. now. Yeah. And so there might be a escalation of some clashes if they actually try to go in. So I think they're they're they're, they're not telling when, but they're I think they're just waiting for a particular time when it's as quiet as possible, like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning when most people are sleeping yeah. and, and just go back and take that uh, the, the, the police police station in that area. Yeah, I think there's one very quick way uh, for them to dismantle that I think is if uh, word gets out that they've now instituted Sharia law in that jazz zone, then you'll see it uh, overnight. They'll dismantle it. <laughs> I don't think there'll be a very long uh, wait for it for them to dismantle it if uh, word gets out, you know. But uh, it seems like the uh, there there are some demands. They're saying they're talking about rent control. Uh, they're talking about the reversal of gentrification. They want to defund the police, uh, funding of community health. Uh, you know, releasing prisoners for uh, time served for like marijuana offenses. So they have these lists of demands. Which of these demands uh, do you think uh, are agreeable with Muslims, like the interests of Muslims? Well, I think, you know, in general, of course, uh, when it comes to uh, Muslims asking for, um, you know, or, or uh, uh, fighting for people's rights and fighting for justice and helping uh, support uh, those who are oppressed. Uh, um, when it comes to, you know, racism and police brutality and systemic racism, things like that, it's, uh, um, you know, from, you know, from 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 what's going on in uh, in, in most in many many parts of the United States of America, uh, of course, you that's something that everybody knows. It's, uh, uh, I mean, it's there. It's there, and you can 
of course, in the news now, it's uh, it's become more prominent, but it doesn't mean that it was never there to start off with. So there are some problems like with uh, police brutality and also uh, I think um, – uh, when you speak about defunding the police off the, the police also it doesn't mean that uh, you get rid of the police officers but a lot of the a lot of uh, uh, the money that's coming from the city uh, the, the money is used in uh, of course uh, by by the police uh, uh, you know by the police and uh, and nowadays uh, if you can probably um, you know um, redirect some of that funding to other, mm. other projects or other things that will help uh, help the poor and the needy in different neighborhoods. That's mm. something that will also, you know, of course, uh, will help with crime and everything else also. It's just that sometimes mm. when you're always when you're always there and sometimes the presence of so many uh, police officers, especially so much money, the, the money that they have also, I think it's just that's that's a problem also uh, right now. Uh, Islamically, of course, uh, as Muslims, uh, of course, we're always uh, we're always asked to uh, uh, to remain uh, peaceful and to to call for to call for peace. Uh, but at the same time, we also, if we're given the opportunity to raise our voices and and to uh, to help the oppressed and to stand up for justice, and it's a it's something that's actually mandatory upon us upon the Muslims uh, to do so. And so, all of these, some of these. Uh, uh, requests uh and, and and conditions that have been mentioned are sometimes you know, i think the uh a lot of them are very legitimate and some of them are just they just, just put it on put everything yeah. on the table yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one uh, one uh request unlimited stars at starbucks no no i'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there, there there are some that yeah they uh they just uh, they're just trying to maybe take advantage of uh, these protests. What has your experience been growing up, uh, especially in that Seattle area, with racism? You know, in the Seattle area, when I was growing up, there was a um, every we every school that I used to go to, we used to have uh, they had a system where they would have the, pretty much. Uh, People in different neighborhoods uh, bust to, like, let's say if you're in the, a poor a uh, area, they would mm -hmm. bust you to the another area, and the other people would uh, be bust to some of the schools in the poor areas also. So growing up, every single school that I went to was very, very diverse. Okay. So you didn't have – you had this exact same amount of Asians – Mm. in every single high school and you had the exact same amount of whites in every high school because they would bus people i was in the south end and that's where a lot of minorities lived and i used to always go to school in the north end mm. i was, used to always go to north end which was you know mainly whites mm. and so growing up it was more um i would say you know you you grew up in uh, you we didn't have uh whites only or or minorities only were in some 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 other cities, and so I think that also I don't know I think that also helped uh, mm. in a way, and I think that was done in different parts of the United States also, but not everywhere. Mm. But uh, you couldn't do that now, anyways. Before yeah. before there wasn't much traffic, 
Yeah. So, so nowadays it would probably take me two, three hours just to get there with traffic. But before it was less than half an hour, maybe 20 minutes, we were able to go. Okay. Uh, but you did, even with that, you know, you still had, uh, you still had some racism, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I, I noticed a lot of this, a lot of the kids, uh, everybody used to grow up, uh, with different, um, you know, you used to hang around with people from, uh, of different color and different race, uh, no matter which school you would go to. Mm. That was how it was in Seattle in the old days. Would you say then that, uh, you the United States, uh, the, the racism that, uh, that's the protests and what the people feel endemic to the United States. Do you feel that it's different from parts of the country? Like it seems that maybe Seattle West coast, uh, isn't, uh, there isn't as many of these types of issues perhaps as maybe, uh, the South, right? Where you hear a lot of stuff, uh, you know, from the South or, uh, maybe even on the East coast a little bit more, would you say that it's a, a little bit more cultural specific based on where you are within the United States? Generally there are, of course, it's the, the main difference of course, is in the, uh, the, the big cities. And of mm -hmm. course, in every part of the United States of America, you have different, uh, different makeup, uh, uh, different communities and different, uh, you know, different, uh, uh, standard of living also like in mm. Seattle and Seattle is a very expensive city to live in. And okay. Seattle is actually one of the most, uh, white cities, mm. meaning, you know, very, very few African-Americans there are few and com comparatively, you know, mm. Seattle and Portland generally, we, um, when I was growing up, actually, there was a little bit more. We used to have an African-American neighborhood, like the Central District used to be African-American. And now, of course, it's all been uh, the gentrified. And uh, because of that gentrification, that particular area now, it's, uh, um, you know, it's different. It's not like how it used to be before. Um, most of most of the African-Americans actually have left that neighborhood and they've gone outside of Seattle. Like okay. more further south, uh, but in Seattle itself, Seattle itself is one of the. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of Asians, a lot mm -hmm. of Asians, but it's uh, in terms of African Americans, uh, very few African Americans. If you see someone who is um, not white or Asian, most likely they're Somali, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, I've heard like, that there's a big, there's been a big immigration of uh, Somalis in the United States, especially the is it Minnesota area. Is that uh, where they've seemed to they have a big population, correct? Yeah, it's, I think of course Minneapolis is one of the biggest or the biggest population of Somalis. Okay, but Seattle's Seattle's up there, uh, okay. probably probably third or fourth or second or third. Okay, in terms of now, the Somali population. When when it comes to then Islamophobia in Seattle, how have they been with Muslims, generally speaking? I think the you know the Muslims have been very um, the. Muslims in Seattle, um, if you, as long as you're staying within the city limits, uh, you know, you do have, uh, incidents here and there, you hear about mm -hmm. it once in a while, but generally I think most Muslims feel very comfortable and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people here are very, very open-minded and, uh, they're liberal and open-minded and it's so at the same mm -hmm. time, um, you know, um, I can go out with my thobe, I can dress like this because it's more like a hippie town. Everybody's, everybody's yeah. weird already. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know some of the brothers when they go to, yeah. they go to high school, actually they wear their thobe and kufi and they just go to school high oh, school. Oh, really? Like that. 
Nobody looks okay. at it, man. It's, it's just normal. Oh, it's, okay. that, it's that type of town. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So it's, it's like all good type of thing. Yeah, it's all good. It's really good unless you, of course, we, 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 we have heard, uh, you yeah. know, every time you leave the city limits and you go a little bit outside, you do get some of the, you know, some of those vibes, stairs, uh, especially with your, you know, when you go with your family and your, 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 wife, your wife has the hijab on, she's covered up. Yeah. There are a lot of people who have been, you know, who, who, you know, who, who give that these, these types of stares. And sometimes when you're at restaurants, you yeah. hear comments and, uh, uh, we've, we've encountered a couple of occasions, um, where, um, uh, actually outside of Seattle, we were at a restaurant and a, and I had a, you know, at that time, my daughter was crying. My daughter was crying and, and a, a man, a man came out, came by our, uh, our booth in the restaurant. And he said, you know, you should take that off. Your, your, your kid is scared of you. Your yeah. kid is scared of you because you're covered up because you're mm-hmm. covered up. Your kid is scared of you. You're, yeah. you're in America now. You're not in your, yeah. you're not in your home country, you know, go back yeah. to where you're born, things like really? that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And so we did encounter, this was like a, maybe a two or three years ago. Yeah. And the manager heard about it and the manager yeah. actually kicked that guy out. Okay. You know, the okay. manager kicked that guy out. But uh, when yeah. you're outside Seattle, of course, uh, uh, you get, uh, you know, you get some stairs here and there. But as long as you're in the city limits, yeah. and, you know, in the suburbs, it's okay. But if you go out, out of it, it's, yeah. uh, it's just like anywhere else in the United States. Uh, when you go a little outside the cities, it's uh, it's different. It's a little bit different. Yeah. I don't know where they get the gall to come up to, like, a total stranger and say something like that. Like... You know, like just basic manners dictates like, you know, you would be so hesitant if you just have basic social awareness and manners. Forget about it. Even if you're racist, say, okay, I like you have racist tendencies or thoughts or ideas. Just like to have the audacity to go to somebody else and say that, that to me is just another level of ignorance, uh, you know, subhanAllah. And, and to like, you know, uh, to say... um you know, to claim to be people like, oh, yeah, we stand up maybe for women's rights and so forth. You're making like a family and a, a little girl and her mother extremely uncomfortable. You know, I, I don't know where people get the gall to do something like that. Yeah, and I, I, I don't I don't see how people have that, that type of audacity unless there's a lot of hatred and they've grown up with a yeah. lot of hatred and ignorance also. And the yeah. thing is, you know, the. The, the the problem is also you know the media is trying to flame you know you know uh, start that and I, you and for me personally I do I did notice like there's a lot more um, like uh, more of that after Donald Trump became uh, president you know, after he became president but at the same time in in Seattle also the first day that Donald Trump uh, or that night that he took uh, that he that he won the election the next mm-hmm. night. Believe it or not, in Seattle, there were a lot of uh, non-Muslim. I don't know if they were men or women, but they put on the niqab. They dressed as oh, really? you know, with full niqab, and they were walking around with signs uh, in in downtown Seattle. And I actually saw them and saying, like, Donald, you know, uh, I am I'm also a Muslim. Now try to kick me out, but you know. You yeah. go to them, and I, I actually approach one. They're not Muslim; they're just trying to protest. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know. And so there's a lot, uh, a lot of people who, uh, of course, it's very liberal in, in, in Seattle. It's one of the most liberal areas. And um, yeah. if you wear a, a 
a red hat, you know, mega hat on here, you'd probably get a lot more stares in, in Seattle. Than oh, right. oh, really? <laughs> so, so do you, do you find like, uh, society, the American society in general is moving towards like a more ideological confrontational type of society? Like, it just seems that there's a lot more polarization that's occurred, uh, especially uh, in the last few years. Uh, definitely, when you have a president that's um, that's racist and and calling to division, always causing division between the people, you of course there the you have a lot of people who are going to be affected by, it, and all of society is going to be affected by. It. And 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 the way things are going, I'm actually afraid mm. that. Uh, it doesn't matter um, who wins the election, whether Donald Trump wins the election or loses the election, mm. there's going to be trouble. Like There's going to be yeah. trouble. If he loses the election, I don't know if he will ever, uh, of course, he's not going to say it's fair. And mm. you can see that coming up. And, uh, mm. you know, as Muslims, you can only, you know, hope, you hope for the best and you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us. Uh, and, and at the same, but at the same time, we also should get involved uh, because it, it's, it affects us also, because there are some Muslims who have this isola isolationist uh, I, um, mentality where, you know, they, that's them and, and so forth, and they don't get involved. And it, it's going to affect us also. And that's why, but at the same time, when we as Muslims, when we're doing something, we should always uh, consult and seek help from, uh, you know, adv advice and and, and return back to the Quran and the Sunnah. So how should we behave uh, in times of trials and tribulations, in times of fitna? Because sometimes a person may react and may do things based on their emotions. And uh, as Muslims, we we should, uh, you know, we should use the Quran and the Sunnah as guidance and also con consultation with the scholars, the people of knowledge, uh, to see how what's what's the appropriate action that we should take and not just know go on our own and and do whatever we feel is uh, um, is is right according to our own whims and desires and so that's why uh, when someone does that you know you you know acting based on based on your emotions it might make you act irrational and it might harm uh, the muslims more and so that's why in one of the masajids that i give a talk in once in a while in the north end there was a just recently i mean just a couple of uh, weeks ago there was a person who's standing in the in the masjid and he's he's looking for confrontation oh, he's okay. saying things that are uh, that would that would make a muslim very very angry and mm. saying things about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam about the wives of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam this is right after Jumu'ah prayer right mm. after friday prayer and some Muslims try to confront, but, you know, some of the administrators and some of the brothers are always trying to tell them, like, you know, brothers, just just ignore him. You know, this is what he wants. And he has a camera. Right? He has okay. a camera. So, he, he's ready so to he's record. trying to troll. He's trying to troll and trap, basically. Yeah. Right in front of the masjid. Yeah. So we're trying to tell people to to, um, you know, to, you know, not to act irrational. Don't scream. Don't yell. Just, you know, try to ignore him because you know, he's. He's in front of the masjid, but he's still in, uh, he's not in on, on masjid property or anything like that. But what ended up happening was um, the neighbors, the neighbors, they came, non-Muslim neighbors, you know, because, um, you know, they saw, they saw what he was doing, that he was trying to troll and trying to cause problems. The non-Muslim the non neighbors started to come and they were the ones who confronted him.
They were the ones who confronted them. They came with signs and they came and they confronted him. So a group of non-Muslims from the neighbors of the masjid, they came and confronted him and they started yelling at him and screaming at him. And so we as Muslims, we didn't have to do anything. The non-Muslim neighbors came and they actually chased him away and he tried to come back one more time and then Muslim neighbors came, the non-Muslim neighbors came again. And now, alhamdulillah, he's not there anymore. He's not there anymore. Okay, and so actually non-Muslims came to help help yeah. the Muslims get rid of this person who had, you know, the, he was saying he was saying a lot of racist things. And yeah. and uh, of course, uh, there's a lot of like hatred and bigotry and, and even some of the signs. He was just trying to insult uh, Muslims and anything about Islam just to cause problems. Do, do you feel that uh, people who have these type of Islamophobic tendencies an agenda, they get more of a free pass or more of an allowance than, say, other types of racist people. Yeah, well, you know, when it's, when it's against Muslims, yeah. um, they sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people, it, it really depends on where it is. But like, see, like right uh, right now, I think it's uh, b b with everything that's going on with uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, um, uh, the all, all of the organization that's going on right now, um, calling for justice and so forth. All of this is also, this is something that a Muslim should actually, um, you know, support in a, in a way that, uh, it support anything that, that calls to justice. Uh, yeah. Even if the organizations and the people who are, or with you are not Muslims, as long as they're calling to justice, that we should support that also. Just like during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, during Hilful um, Fudul, this was uh, at a time in which the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was just in his, actually in his, in his 20s, in the early 20s. And um, there was injustice that happened because of a man who was, uh, who was oppressed in Mecca. Uh, he had brought merchandise and to, to sell in Mecca. And one of the aristocrats, one of the respected elders of Mecca, said, I will buy this from you. And he said, come back to me before you leave and I'll pay you for it. And he ended up not paying him when he was about to go. When this man from the, uh, the, from Z from the Zabiri tribe uh, was about to go and go back home and collect his, he wanted to collect his money. Of course, this man was not given his right. And so he went and asked some of the other elders and the other clans in Mecca and nobody helped him. And until finally he spoke up, uh, gave a few uh, lines of poetry and Batha overlooking the Kaaba, overlooking Mecca. And when the Meccans heard uh, these lines of poetry, in those days, of course, poetry was like the media. And so you can influence people and it, it, it would ruin the reputation of the Meccans uh, or the Quraysh as a people who, uh, you know, were very, very respected. And so they were afraid that you know, it would, you know, this was a PR disaster on there uh, that was going to happen. If this man were to, you know, uh, the story of this man were to spread and nothing was done to help him. And so they got together in an emergency meeting and the messenger of Allah was there also. And the, the, agree, the agreement from some of the, of course, not all the clans were involved in this agreement, but uh, many of the clans that were, were involved in it and, and one, one, uh, in the house of Abdullah bin Jadan and the Prophet Sallallahu was able to attend this gathering to call for justice and to call for peace and that no one would no one should be oppressed 
uh, in Mecca and the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most holy city uh, in the world. Nobody should ever be oppressed. We should always stand up for justice. And so this was before, you know, before revelation. The, the Prophet wasallam said, if I were to, you know, I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't trade that opportunity that I had to be in that house, uh, to be part of that agreement, even if someone were to give me a red camel. And in those days, you know, the red camel is one of the most precious things. It's like someone, someone saying nowadays, you know, I wouldn't trade that for even if you were to give me uh, a, a red Ferrari, for example. Mm. And so that was a big thing. I mean, and so the Prophet stood for justice and he, and he was always there for those who were in need. And that's why the Prophet when he came back from uh, the, the cave, Khadija radiallahu anha, she said, by Allah, Allah would never humiliate you. And and the reason is because, as, she, as Khadija radiallahu anha mentioned, he said, And you help those, the calamity stricken ones, and you help those who are in need. In other words, those who are oppressed and those who are in need. The Prophet was always there for them. He was also was always uh, there for the people. And that's how a Muslim should be. That's how Muslims should be. And that's why that's what makes us the best ummah. That mm. we are there for the other people. Sheikh, what says, I find... Yeah. Sorry, sorry to uh, uh, interrupt. Sheikh, what, what I find is that um, many people feel that there is something wrong. There are There is something that needs to be corrected. The confusion now becomes... How do you go about doing it and what you want to achieve? So there's a lot of confusion in the how and the what. So, for example, I just saw a video earlier today. It was basically a battle of the Karens. So you had a, a social justice warrior Karen uh, versus uh, maybe your classical Karen. So what, what this video showed was that there is a group of uh, white women like washing like this wall and trying to like clean the graffiti off this wall right and so this other woman comes up uh in her car and uh, she says well why are you cleaning uh that off the wall don't you care about black lives don't you think black lives matter and she's like no we think it's okay like you know like uh you know we we care about uh you know black lives and stuff we were just cleaning this wall it's like well by cleaning it off that wall you don't care about black and they got into this confrontation you know what i mean but I see that as almost like a general trend when because whether you classify yourself as a, a Republican or a conservative, you want justice. And whether you classify yourself as a liberal, you want justice. But I believe because of the foundation of those principles, there's a lot of confusion that occurs because uh, perhaps in, in theory, they should be agreeing on fundamentally most issues, but you don't see that happening in practice. So as Muslims, we have an aqidah. So just we have a, a framework and you could say um, a platform from which we are able to operate from. Something that's consistent, right? We have the Quran and Sunnah, which is yes. something that's consistent. Whereas for them, their standards may continuously change. So how is it different? Like what roles uh, especially can the Muslims play? Because there is a lot of confusion Forget about even the Muslims, but society at large of like, okay, we feel that there is something wrong. Okay, we can acknowledge there is something that is wrong, incorrect. Like, for example, when we when people saw the video of George Floyd, unanimously, even Fox News was saying how evil of an act, how despicable of an act that was. Yet now we see the aftermath 
they can't agree on a path forward or they can't agree on reconciliation. They can't agree on a resolution. So I believe Islam has a unique role to play in this. You know, we don't have to just follow uh, the protests, but maybe perhaps we can lead the way in terms of giving people a path of uh, where they should head towards. What are your thoughts on that? I think, of course, you know, uh, as Muslims, as Muslims, we... Um, we know our we we have our principles and we have our deen and our deen, uh, our way of life is divine by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala who created us, and it's for all times. It's not just for a, a certain time or a certain place. No, it's for all times until the end of time. There's guidance for us in every single action, and so what a Muslim needs to do in the, in times of trials and tribulations and times like this, uh, is that first and foremost we have to go back to the Quran and the Sunnah. We have to learn our Deen. We have to learn our Deen, and as du'as also, we also have to show people that Islam is practical and applicable in the times that we are living in right now. If we are to call people to Islam. That that's we have to call people, of course, in the in the correct way, but also with sound knowledge. sabili, say this is my path. I do, I call to Allah upon insight, meaning upon knowledge, based on evidence and proofs. And so we as Muslims, we have to we have to lead uh, we have to lead the way to show people what Islam is, because you'll see that when when you go to a masjid, when you see people from different uh, different parts of the world and you'll see a black person and you'll see an Asian and you'll see a white standing next to each other and they're sitting down and, and, and actually when people see this beauty, the beauty of Islam a lot of people are attracted to it I know a lot of uh, I know a couple of brothers who, are actually, who have actually become Muslim they've become Muslim because they saw the brotherhood they saw how we helped each other and how everyone came together, even though they were from different, uh, you know, different backgrounds and different colors uh, and, and, and so forth. And so that's why we as Muslims, we have to embody the teachings of the Quran in our daily lives. Right now, we have to show people that, you know, people right now are like trying to clean the walls and pick up trash and so forth. Right now, people are doing that because of what's going on right now. But that's something that we as Muslims are taught to do on a daily basis. You know, we don't wait for the authorities to come clean the uh, the area in our neighborhoods and so forth, in, in the masjid. We should, you know, every time we see trash, we should pick it up. And we should also be examples for other people. We have to be the best. We cannot be ordinary. We have to be extraordinary. People look at us as being different. In times like this, we have to make a difference. We have to make a difference. I mean, we have to be there for the other people. And that's what being the best ummah means. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhridatlinas. We are the best of nations brought forth for humanity. Notice Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, brought forth for humanity, but he also uses the passive voice, ukhrijat. Ukhrijat means to come out as if you have to, you, you know, it doesn't, it's not something that, that that change cannot come, uh, that cannot come overnight. It's not an overnight thing. It's like when you plant a seed, it takes a while for it to grow to become that big tree. And so that's why we as Muslims right now, we have to start to, to establish that foundation in our communities, in our families. Like, for example, you know, in our families, we, uh, uh, you know, we have to start to, 
also tell people in in, in the most in, in in our fa- our family members in our community that you know racism of course is not right because there are some people and especially people come you know some Muslims some Muslims from different parts of the world um, you know the when something happens they'll say you know don't do that because you know, close the door because the black man will come. And the, the, and every culture, some of the Muslim cultures, they have this, these terminologies for 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 this. And so you're you're raising your kids also already from the very beginning to be to be racist, and that's not a part of Islam. And so we have to start that from the beginning, and we have to start that change from within ourselves and in our community. And also, you know, we have to realize also that this is not just. Something that happens only, you know, with African Americans outside, uh, with the police officers and so forth. Some of these incidents happen in our massages also. There's a there's a lot of, uh, um, believe it or not, there are a lot, there's a lot of racism, and so we have to also take the steps to also get not, you know, uh, reverts and African Americans also involved in our. Uh, not only, not just to get involved in their communities, involved in the board and so forth. And so when they see that, you know, they do have someone on the board and you'll see that they make, uh, they, they may feel more comfortable. And, you know, during the time of the Prophet wasallam, everybody who came to the Prophet's masjid was made to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And everybody felt welcome. And that's what we need to do. And that's what Islam teaches us. Islam teaches us. Uh, all we have to do right now is embody the teachings of the Quran in our daily lives to be the best Muslims that we can be, and you know to be there for the other people. So if there are people in the society right now or in our in your community uh, that need food and and shelter and need counseling, we as Muslims should be at the forefront and also at the same time, you know, if, if there if there are soup kitchens in your city, I think a lot of times, uh, you know. Uh, our, our massages actually should uh, initiate some of these projects to help people and to, uh, to to be there for the people and not just not just do it also when the police or not not just do it because the TV is there also we do it because this, this is what our dean teaches us. One thing I find, uh, Sheikh, is that you have some people who are really uh, at the at the forefront of activism. So say uh, they're protesting against political injustice, racial injustice, they're volunteering at soup kitchens. But then uh, when it comes to other, say, matters of the deen, maybe they may not pray five times a day. Maybe they don't believe everything in the Quran and the Sunnah is uh, relevant to our times. So they maybe have a modernist idea. So then you have people on that end of the spectrum too. So they're very, very active in issues of social justice. But then uh, they and giving rights to the people, but then they feel lackadaisical in giving rights uh, to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So, uh, do you think there's a common source for these people? Like, say, like you have on one end of the spectrum people who are, you know, really into social justice, but not into uh, the uh, acts of ibadat, and then you have other people on the other end of the spectrum that are maybe really into ibadat, but then they have a lot of this tribalism and other types of issues that you're saying, you know, our, our community has been dealing with? This, of course, um, this is a result of people uh, of ignorance and lack of knowledge amongst Muslims. Mm-hmm. The closer you are to the sunnah, the closer you are to moderation. Because the sunnah calls to moderation and 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 it calls to, uh, if the, 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 you know, the more you follow the sunnah, 
uh, of course, the less uh, extreme a person becomes. And the reason why people, uh, you know, are on one spectrum or another is because they've taken a part of the deen and they've made it a whole. Mm. They've taken one part of the deen and made a whole. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. Some Muslims, alhamdulillah, they're very involved in activism and they think that's what Islam is all about. Mm. And if you're not involved in activism, then you're not a real Muslim. And then there are some people who love da'wah, of course, you know, da'wah in a, in a specific type of way, in a, in a particular manner. If you're not involved in their group, then you're like, you're astray. And there are some people who are very, very, uh, in, you know, for them, Islam is about spirituality. Mm. It's all about the spirituality. And there are some who, mashallah, you know, they are, in terms of their their aqidah and their knowledge and so forth, but they have no akhlaq. Mm. They have no akhlaq. For some and, people, Islam is just about marrying. <laughs> some people, yes. Islam, that's, when you speak of Islam, uh, Islam, it's all about marriage, right? For some people, right? Yeah, you're right. But when someone takes a part of a deen and makes yeah. it a whole, that's when they go astray. That's when they go straight. Because some people, are, that's all they speak about is this. If you establish the khilafah, that's it. That will solve every problem. And others will say, you know, as long as you take care of yourself spiritually, you, everything will take care of yourself. But in our deen, all of that uh, politics is part of our deen. Mm. Economics is part of our deen. And taking care of yourself spiritually is part of our deen. And that's why one of the most difficult the difficult hadith probably to apply, as mentioned by some of my uh, one of my teachers, he was asked, what is the most difficult hadith to apply? And so he, he sat up and he said, you know, the most difficult hadith to really put to practice is what the Prophet said uh, when he said, Inna li rabbika Indeed, your Lord has a right upon you. And your family has a right upon you. They have a right upon you. And in, in yourself, you have a right upon yourself. So give each entity that is deserving of its right, its right. And so there, that's, that's what Islam is all about. Islam is, it encompasses, it's a way of life. It's not just one aspect. And if you make one aspect of a deen, of the deen of Islam a whole, that's when you go astray. And that's that's because you're not looking at the whole picture. No, I think that's, uh, you know, subhanAllah, a very valid point. It seems like the root cause of uh, the way people are sometimes misled or they miss out on other parts of the deen is that state of jahiliyyah. You know, because uh, innately, Islam is uh, a balanced, moderate way of life. Uh, innately, Islam... To know Islam, you have to have knowledge. You, you know, you, it's it's a, it's based on uh, a foundation of knowledge, right? So, ja, you know, being in that state of jahiliya, ignorance, you're disconnecting yourself from that, and you're just maybe uh, selecting a portion of that. So, I want to you know get into something that maybe then uh, a practical way of looking at uh, maybe uh, our our role in some of these protests. So, we've had conversations in the past. You're a football fan, correct? You used to play mm -hmm. football. You enjoy football. Yeah, so I, I enjoy football too. Whenever I have time. Yeah, yeah. so I enjoy football. And so uh, if, you, if you remember a few years ago, Colin Kaepernick famously uh, was protesting against many of the injustices that occurred. And so uh, with him, what happened was he was initially protesting 
by sitting down on the bench during the national anthem. And then uh, he talked to uh, a uh, an army veteran, and he said it would be more respectful uh, to protest while you're kneeling because kneeling is how we pray. And basically Martin Luther King Jr., there's a history where, you know, they would protest and it, uh, and it was it came from prayer. Right. So to kneel and protest, but it, but it comes from uh, Christian prayer. Right. That's the 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 original the, uh, the source of that. And then, of course, we saw the famous uh, video of the killing of George Floyd, where the officer was kneeling on the back of the neck of uh, of George Floyd and thereby killing him. And so a lot of people were kneeling to signify that. And that to me didn't really make so much sense because you're almost reenacting the actions of a murderer, right? So that to me, I was like, I don't know how, how much sense that makes. But generally speaking, it's become now a sign of protest, kneeling, you know. As a Muslim, should we kneel uh, in protest? Well, you know, the, when it comes to uh, acts of worship, standing up and kneeling um, for people, um, when, when a person... Uh, uh, of course, the, kneels down uh, for uh, out of respect for 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 this person or that person, or even standing up. Like when a person comes into your house, you can stand up, or when you know when someone a, a dignitary or a, a prince or a king, when somebody comes, uh, as Muslims, we're not allowed to stand up for that person. One may stand up to greet that person. Like somebody comes, your parents come and you stand up to go and greet them and you stand up. If you haven't seen someone for a very, very long time and they've come and you stand up because you miss them and you're greeting them, standing up for that purpose is is permissible. But to stand uh, for, for someone uh, out of respect for them in terms of this is not this is this is even the Prophet himself did not allow anyone to do that when it comes to acts of worship. One is not allowed to use those acts of worship. Um, in the, like, for example, sujood cannot be done for anyone except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when it comes to ruku', you know, kneeling down for ruku' for that particular purpose, that's only uh, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, but if, if someone, you know, kneels down to, to, to signify uh, a protest, you know, that's not an act where someone's you're respecting something or anything like that. In terms of like the when 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 the flag, uh, the flag in itself, you know, uh, when someone stands up for the flag and uh, uh, out of respect for the flag and, and, and things like that. In Islam, of course, uh, we stand up for Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And let's say, for example, uh, if, if a judge uh, tells someone to, you know. If you for you put in a position where you have to stand up out of respect for for the judge and so forth, um, if as a Muslim, if you're the judge, as you, if you're a Muslim, it's not permissible to want people to stand up for you, because the Prophet wasallam said, "Whosoever wants people to stand up for them, then let them take their place." Let them stand, uh, take their place in the hellfire. So. You're not allowed to want people to respect you in such a way where you're standing up for them. But if someone, let's say you're in a situation where, uh, you know, someone, you have to, if you don't stand up 
in that particular situation, you get kicked out of the court or something that will happen. You're not doing that as an act of worship or anything like that. And that's something that's, you know, disliked, but it's permissible. I mean, that's not something that's haram from that, from that instance. But when it comes to, you know, uh, kneeling down as an act of protest, you know, not an act of worship or anything like that, then that's, wallahu alam, that's something that's permissible. If it's, if you're, uh, you know, if you're actually trying to, you know, send a message to people. And it doesn't, it doesn't involve any, any acts of anything that's related to any religion, uh, specifically. So when somebody goes down and kneels to, to protest, uh, if that is an act that's, that's, that uh, kneels like on one knee and so forth, that's not something that's like, um, I would say it's not close to any act of prayer that we have, sort of like sujood or ruku. No, no, it's not an act of prayer for us. But for Christians, it is an act of prayer. So th- that's see the the whole background of why Colin Kaepernick uh, was kneeling is because uh, it comes from prayer. That's the whole reason why he changed to kneeling, and that's the whole reason why Martin Luther King Jr. also used to kneel for protest because it was part of their uh, act of worship. Okay. Yeah, so if it's to, associated with religion, and that act is associated with an act of prayer and religion, then it should be avoided. You should stay away from it. If that's what if that's what people associate that with, uh, I don't know if they if people like modern you know right now associate specifically that with an act of uh, like uh, a Christian a Christian act of worship. It's more like an act of protest. But if it is, if the origins are like that, I think it's better to not to, to avoid something like that as a Muslim. Mm. Yeah, because the people who are kneeling, they're they're uh, or they took it on as a sign of protest. They took it from Colin Kaepernick and his discussion, like they're readily available, like the his decision making process. So the reason why he changed from sitting down to kneeling was that uh, he talked to somebody and says, you know, kneeling is an act of worship. And so this would be more respectful if you kneel rather than sit down. And so that's why. Yeah, because, that's, Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I think if, that's if you look at Muhammad, that is the origin at, of it. But I, think, I don't yeah. know. If that, if that's the origin of it, then I think it should be avoided as a result of it, because uh, we are not allowed to uh, we are not allowed to imitate any act of uh, or, or you know any acts uh, from other religions like Christianity or Judaism or any other religion and to imitate any of the acts of uh, spe- that's specific to their uh, to their to their worship, and so uh, we're not allowed to imitate and copy. Uh, those things, especially if it's related to the to a person's religion or related to their to their religion, and so in that case, I think it should be a, it should be avoided and should stay away from it. Uh, but actually, um, I didn't. Uh, I thought it was just an act of protest, like in terms of uh, no, it became it became right a now, symbol of, associate of, with of, that. Then definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and if people uh, associate uh, that with Christianity, then definitely it's not permissible for a Muslim. And and, and for, for example, if you look at a very similar uh, ex- like uh, incident or, or a similar situation with Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. So if you remember Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, he also sat during the uh, national anthem, right? So the, uh, with the yeah. uh, with the U.S. anthem, and then he got a lot of blowback for that. So what did he do? He actually stood up, but he made dua. I don't know if you remember that he changed yes, I do. from I do. standing yes. up to making dua, but because he's Muslim, you understand what I'm saying? So he's like, okay, I'm going to make dua. Whereas, you know, obviously Colin Kaepernick, he went from knee, uh, sitting to kneeling. So there's a different source, like, you know, kind of background for uh, both of these streams, the way that they ended up 
you know, signifying their protest. Obviously, Mahmoud Abdurouf, he was in an era without social media. No one really supported him. So no one started yeah. making dua as protest, right? Everyone is, yeah. you know, Nike didn't give him a contract like they gave Colin Kaepernick, right? So, uh, you know, he was, subhanAllah, had to uh, fend for himself. So, but um, one thing I want to get to as well, because you have a very diverse and unique uh history you know mashallah like you were born during the vietnam war is that correct yes i was i was born in vietnam during that time so, yeah so born in vietnam coming to the united states and then going to uh saudi uh and you spent like uh, how many years were you there for six years eight years in saudi i i was there from uh i was there in the 90s you know all the okay. way throughout throughout the 90s pretty okay. much uh and uh, after I graduated, I actually came back to Seattle just for a few months. But then there are a lot of projects that I was doing in uh, Cambodia, Vietnam and Cambodia. And uh, okay. I was able to actually go back and uh, help out with the help the Muslims in that area in terms of their education and building orphanages and massages and things like that and wells and digging wells. OK, mashallah. So, you know, in the uh, past few years, there has been a lot of changes in South Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, a lot of attempts for modernization. There's this whole 2030 like plan, Vision 2030, and uh, you know they want uh, to open up the country to entertainment, media, all sorts of different types of activities. Did you in the 90s? Did you see any desire of that in Saudi? Like for people, like were they were, were the people craving this? Like we want to have, uh, you know these concerts, we want WWE to come here. Was that something that you saw when you were there? Or do you, do you feel that there's been a dramatic uh, shift since your time? I think it's, you know, of course, you always have, uh, uh, you always, uh, you always, as long as you have the TV, you know, in those days, even though the society was much more closed, I remember uh, when I first arrived uh, and I was watching the news it was totally different. It was, you know, the news was just a man, you know, mm. just giving the news. There was never a woman who would uh, would be on TV. This was at the beginning, and there wasn't any music. <laughs> there was much. There wasn't even music. Uh, most of that was not there. And then, of course, gradually it started to change. But did did people have these desires? You know. Were they interested in WWE? I have a story concerning that. <laughs> I was uh, I went to the police station because I had lost my paperwork, you know, like mm -hmm. my ID, and yeah. so I wanted to do. I wanted to. Uh, um, I needed a signature that I lost it. Uh, that I lost it at the, the masjid or wherever it is before I can get a new one. You know, I had to I had to get to yeah, go to the police station and get a signature. So when I went. Uh, the guard was about to, you know, it was almost uh, almost lunchtime, and he was about to send me away. Mm -hmm. He was about to send me away, and I said, you know, I just need a signature. So he looks at my paper, and it says American. It says American. So he was surprised, right? So I don't, you know, for them, an American, like, you know, blonde, blonde eye, I mean, blue eye, blonde hair, blue eye. Yeah. And so that's what he's thinking. He's looking at, you're American? You're American? And so the first thing he said, do you know Hulk Hogan? Do you know Hulk Hogan? And this was like, <laughs> this yeah. was in the early 90s. This yeah. was in the early 90s. It's like, yeah, yeah, were, I do. I'll get, hook me up and I'll hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everybody from the United States knows Hulk Hogan. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. uh, you know, there, 
Saudi Arabia in those days they had the satellite TVs, you know, yeah. satellites, and sometimes you'd have in houses. So people were watching these movies, and of course yeah. Hollywood influences everybody, no matter how, no matter what you do, as long as like you know the people were exposed to it, they're going to have, especially those who are you know not firm upon the deen, not practicing Islam, uh, they're going to be influenced like anyone else is influenced by by Hollywood and by TV and by the movies uh, and so forth. And so, but at the same time, in those days, there were, um, you know, um, you stayed in Medina and and it was a time in which, uh, uh, you know, there was not too many, too much distraction. There wasn't, the, the internet was not there. And so if you weren't watching TV or anything like that, you were, you know, you were just with the, with the with the scholars and the people and the students that uh, that were there with you and you're able to be focused a lot more like nowadays I don't know how you can actually study with so much uh, you know with uh, with with so much access to all of uh, all, all of this distraction in fact believe it or not uh, I mean it's helpful from one aspect but at the same time it can also be something that's very distracting but as for Saudi Arabia. Uh, of course, you see everybody hears about it. And everybody can see all this change that's happening, and you have, you know, you have uh, push, some push and some give here, push and take here also. Uh, and uh, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of good people, a lot of good mm-hmm. people in, in, in Saudi Arabia that are trying to stand firm upon the Sunnah. Um, but no matter where you are, no matter where you are as a Muslim, there are challenges. There are challenges. Like personally, if I were to raise my kids in Seattle or I raise my kids in Mecca and Medina, I mean, there will be challenges. And some of the challenges yeah. are, are very, very, you know, um, these are like big challenges no matter where you are in the world right now. So wherever you are, um, wherever we are, wherever the Muslims are, they're facing, believe it or not, because of this globalization, the same, some of the same challenges. People in Saudi Arabia are facing some of the same challenges that we are facing because every single day everyone's exposed to pretty much the same thing. If something happens in the East, everyone in the West hears about it. Something happens in the West, and almost instantaneously you hear about it. And so there's a lot of that going on. But at the same time, that's also a good thing for a Muslim. And that you're able to influence a lot of people. If you can change the perception of Islam and the Muslims in Canada, in the United States of America, in North America, because North America is so influential, then we can change the perception of Islam in the whole world. And so it's not a bad thing, but at the same time, there are challenges, but also there are opportunities with every challenge. So, you know, like right now they say, you know, when America sneezes, when America sneezes, the whole world gets a cold. And you guys are saying, like, you know what, when something happens in America, you know, like something similar happens in in Canada also. So if you're living in a country where where there's a lot of influence and Canada has a lot of influence in the world also, Canada and the United States, North America in general has a lot of influence. And so we can change. We can make a difference here. In North America, we can make a difference in the whole, you know, in the whole of the world, inshallah, the whole world, inshallah. Mm. So you think as Muslims, we can have an effect on this a globalization of pop culture? I think we have. We have to, you know, we, we can. And, and, and we have to make the effort. Like I mentioned when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, brought forth for humanity. Notice it's brought forth as if to signify there's a seed that's coming out. That you have to plant that seed, even if you think you can't make a difference, you just do your best to try to make a difference, and you leave the rest to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. 
In fact, the Prophet وسلم, he said in a very powerful hadith in Musnad Ibn Ahmad, the Prophet وسلم, said, إذا, إذا الساعة, إذا قام, if, the, if the hour were to happen, and you have a seedling in your hand, then, and if you're able to plant that seedling before the hour happens, I mean, before the end of the world, then do so. But if you really reflect upon this, what's the message in this hadith? The message in this hadith is that you can make a difference and it's you just, all you have to do is do your best to, to plant that seed. Don't worry about what happens afterwards, but you yourself do your best to plant that seed and you can make a difference. And so those who are saying that, you know, what can I do as one person? There's good in doing good. And if you are sincere in your actions, Allah will magnify the effects of your efforts, the effects of your deeds. Uh, and, and so that's why we as Muslims, you might think you might not be able to make a difference, but everyone has a role and everyone has a responsibility to plant that seed, even though you might not be able to take shade from the tree, but you will get the reward the reward from the people who take shade from that tree, even a hundred years from now when you're in the grave. And that's what we as Muslims, we just plant the seed and do our very best. Meaning, when I say plant the seed, make that change in our families and teach our children, teach our community and try to make a difference. Because sometimes a person, one person, you don't realize the effects of the acts of a person, but sometimes a person's act will, uh, will, will change a country as a result of his influence, because I know a person, you know, I know, I know some people, some people, there were some people who were very, very, um, you know, the, you know, the prime minister of, um, of Cambodia right now, hmm. the prime minister of Cambodia is not Muslim. He's not Muslim, but he grew up around Muslims. He okay. grew up around Muslims and every single month or every single Ramadan, he invites Muslims for iftar, huge iftar in the, the most fancy hotels. And at the same time, also sometimes, you know, of course, he does it for political purposes also, but he helps build masajids and he helps build, build, build schools, also Islamic schools, like even Cambodia mm-hmm. itself. And there are a lot of people in Cambodia who are very influential because they knew him from, from a very young age because he grew up around Muslims. And the, and the reason why is because the Muslims took care of him. He mentioned the Muslims did take care of him. And so now, you know, those, you know, the, the families who used to give him food when he was very poor and, and they were nice and kind to him, they, they might not be here right now. They might not be alive right now. But how they treated him uh, has affected how he's treated Muslims. You know, like 50 or 60 years right now, he's, he's the prime minister, but the way he, you know, he's, he's very open in terms of like, he's very helpful to the Muslims. And also he, there are a lot of ministers in Cambodia who are actually Muslims who, um, you know, who, and maybe the reason is because, because of his interactions with Muslims when he was younger and how they influenced him. And so sometimes you don't, you never know that that neighbor that you're kind kind to, maybe his son becomes someone who is very influential, and becomes someone who you know stands up for Islam if he doesn't accept Islam himself. So who helps the Muslims in the future and they can make a difference. And so you never know. Yeah. You just do your very best. I think it seems that if we are to make an influence on popular culture globally, 
the Muslims will need to have a very strong identity and a lot of self-confidence because if we just play along with existing popularized culture, then we can just actually serve to promote that instead of promoting uh, something that is alternative. You know, you know what I mean? Yes. Like alternative ideas. Because you see that now. You see people like, for example, you'll see uh, television shows or movies with a muhajbi, right? So, wow, you have a, uh, a muhajbi or a Muslim wearing a kufi and a beard. And, you know, they're part of this ensemble where it has like everybody in it. So it's like this diverse, multicultural crew. You know what I mean? Uh, and yet everybody has to have the same mentality, meaning that all the values are still uniform. You know, the agenda of that, you know, of whatever has been trying to be popularized, that is still consistent. You're just maybe, uh, you know, having some people who look different. You know what I mean? So it's like popular culture is this club and you've got like this bouncer in front of the club. It's like, oh, yeah, you're wearing hijab. Oh, yeah, yeah, come in. Just take a selfie with this guy dressed up as a flamingo. And you know what I mean? To, to get in. You know what I mean? So it's like you, you have to compromise the core of your identity. I think now it's like, yeah, everybody can look different, but you all have to think the same. You know, and I think that's maybe how Muslims may get fooled into thinking, hey, I want to be part of the process, but then they get lost, you know, in that process. You know what I mean? If they don't come yeah. in with a lot of strong self-identity and a lot of strong self-confidence. I think that's why we have to work together in that. as a Muslim community. We have to initiate some of these programs and some of these yeah. projects and some of these uh, initiations where, uh, where we uh, we were at the forefront of fighting for justice and helping those who are in need. We have to do it ourselves. And of course, we support, you know, Black Lives Matters and so forth. And but we also have to have our own also, you know, our own organizations yeah. that are also calling to, uh, you know, to uh, for, for justice and helping the, those who are in need and those who are oppressed. Uh, we also have to be at the forefront, and meaning meaning we have to start the initiative also, instead of just waiting for other people. Um, we, I, I think that 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 comes with us, uh, you know, thinking thinking ahead, uh, thing, and, and planting that seed. For example, you know, if we know that the media is very influential, then maybe right now it's 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 time to to initiate some projects and programs where we have we help Muslims get into that particular field where we will have an influence and uh, and make an, and we'll be able to make a change in, in society. Okay. Uh, now we're also coming upon because uh, we were recently talking about Saudi we're coming upon the season of Hajj. Now uh, Hajj in history there has been uh, according to some estimates 40 times in history where there was some major event that happened that uh, affected Hajj, whether Hajj was canceled or it was really restricted, you know. So, for example, uh, during Napoleon's reign, there was a because of some of the skirmishes and battles that occurred, there wasn't many people who were able to come for Hajj. Uh, there was times when there was confrontation between the the Sunni and the Shia, and so there was some battle between the Fatimid and the Abbasid uh, empires. There was a time where the Karamata they came in, they attacked uh, Mecca, they stole the Black Stone right, yeah. for a period of time. A lot of people don't so, know that. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's been a lot. A few years ago, though. Uh, Qatar was banned, right? Like the Qataris yeah, yeah. were banned uh, yeah. to, to come for, ago, right? yeah, yeah, two years ago or three years two ago. Years ago was it? So, yeah, yeah, 2017. So, so there, there's been times where 
there it has had an effect. Now, I was reflecting upon this because this is the first time during this, you know, the the kingdom of Saud's rule over, uh, you know, uh, Mecca and Medina that Hajj is now being suspended completely for international uh, travelers. But one thing I, I reflected upon is that earlier this year, or I would say maybe even late last year, there were because they had opened up uh, Saudi, there was actually a lot of non-Muslims uh, who were actually going into Mecca and Medina. And uh, they were making videos and they're posting it online. Okay, And I remember seeing one of the videos on there where uh, a guy came in there and he was saying, you know, it's so open and Saudi, Saudi has changed. And actually, a lot of people don't know this, but Saudi actually paid a lot of these influencers to come into Saudi and spread good you know, words about them, especially after uh, the whole, you know, all the different controversies that happened with Khashoggi and, and, and so forth. So this one guy came in. I still remember uh, this video where he shows this um, this youth. Uh, talking about how now free and open Saudi society is. And he was saying, oh, my girlfriend over here. And uh, they didn't show her, though. They didn't show her. Maybe they showed part of her. I uh, said, oh, you know, now we can go to any hotel and spend time together. You know what I mean? So he's trying to show, yeah, this is how it's so open. And then all these people are saying, said, oh, I snuck into Mecca and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So, you know, subhanAllah, it's now like you went from that extreme all of a sudden, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has made a condition: no international travelers coming in, no people from outside coming in uh, for for Hajj. Have you seen anything like this? Like, uh, how does this rank? First of all, how does this rank? The fact that we're in a situation where it's completely closed off, uh, and it's also restricted for the people, even locals, for them to be able to go for Hajj. So, where does this rank in history since the time that we were that we had Hajj? That uh, this level of closure and number two you know what are things that we can reflect upon this like are there any reflections that need to be made yeah definitely now nowadays uh, especially uh not just uh you know just hajj only of course hajj is something that um, myself and some of my, my mother and my family we were actually planning to go make hajj this year uh mm -hmm. but alhamdulillah uh, it, but it, what, what it teaches us is it teaches us to take advantage of the opportunities that we do have when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to go to the masjid and we're free to do so. Take advantage of that because things can change at any time. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he ordered us to take advantage of some of the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us. Iqdanim khamsan qabla khams, you know, take advantage of five things before five things, you know, with your, your, your wealth and your health and the money that you have. Uh, when you're able to spend, you spend it. When you're able to make hajj, you do, you should try to do your very best uh, to do so. When we see hajj, we're not able to make hajj, like even when we want to, and even when we're able to, in terms of when we have the money, some people have been saving up and now this year they're not able to go and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow and next year and, and so forth. Allah is the only one that knows best. And that's why um, you should take advantage when you, when you have whenever when you have, when you have the opportunity to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then try to do, it, uh, do as much of it as you can. Now, you know, we're, I, I don't know about where you are in Canada, but uh, yeah, we just recently opened up the masjid, but we're only able to pray 
certain numbers outside and with a lot of conditions and stipulations. Um, but when you do have the opportunity to go uh, and do something, then take advantage of that. That's one of the lessons that you have to be uh, should learn from and to appreciate. You know, like before, I remember before 9 11, you know, we as Muslims, we had the opportunity to make a difference, but we were isolationists. We weren't there to, you know, for, for those who are in need. We're not there at all in the open to make a difference. And so when 9 when 11 happens, nobody knew who we were. You know, people could speak about us any way they want. People would believe because nobody really knew. No, no, no one had interactions with us. And not, not everybody, but, you know, we weren't there at the situation. We weren't there when people were in need. Uh, and so that's why right now, if we have the opportunity to make a difference, we have to do that. We have to do that so that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Prophet the Prophet know Allah in times of ease and he'll know you in times of hardship. To prepare for those times of hardship, we have to take advantage of the blessings that Allah has given to us, meaning use those blessings in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alleviate us from uh, what we're in. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the best of this world. And the health that he has given to us, we should try to use that uh, uh, by spending our health, uh, our energy and strength in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, we appreciate your time that you've been able to spend with us. And I understand that your son has a graduation tomorrow. And so we're uh, uh, we're making a dua for you that you have a, a good gathering. I know you're trying to make it special for your son. Yeah. And there's a lot of different restrictions in place. Uh, you're, you're mentioning like you have to meet in a, a parking lot or something. And yes. We're going to meet at a parking lot. We're going to have a drive through So we're going to have like a some food and barbecue and stuff like that. But nobody's going to get out of their car. Only like us. And then we're going to hand, we're gonna put a food in the box. And we're actually just going to hand it to my to our family members and people who are coming. So it's, uh, I guess it's those times. <laughs> you know, it's uh, these are strange times. So we can't even get together uh, as a group uh, for graduation and things like that. So we're actually just doing it at the parking lot. People are just staying in their cars. Oh, subhanAllah. Yeah. So it's like a drive-through. Uh, drive, yeah. <laughs> drive-through graduation. Yeah. Graduation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just a drive-through. Right. So, Makar Sheikh, this was very enjoyable. Hopefully, we can have you on the podcast again. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep your family safe during this time. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that there's not a warlord that's taken over Seattle and you're still free <laughs> to move about and... Uh, Celebrate your son's graduation. Alhamdulillah. So, inshallah, uh, we'll uh, be in touch and hopefully have you on in the future again. And to all our viewers and listeners, uh, inshallah, we will be back on Saturday for the next episode of the podcast. And remember, we want to live by the haq, die by the haq. And just when you think life is stuck, tune in to life haq. Assalamu alaikum. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.